right, as we get prepared to look into the Word of God, we've entitled the message this morning, Overcoming the World's Hatred. And in our study of the Word of God in this section, we have seen that the Lord is going back to the Father. He's been teaching his disciples and instructing them, particularly in most recent messages, in three relationships, in the relationship to God, in the relationship to one another, and in the relationship to the world. Toward God, they were to abide in him. Toward one another, they were to love one another as Christ has loved them. And where we have been is, as far as the world, he kind of turned it around and pointed out that the world is going to hate those who belong to Christ. And that's in verses 18 through 25. Now, you want to scan those verses right now, because as we were in those verses, we've looked at them and been dealing with the reasons why the world hates believers. Why is that so? And uh, in looking at that, we concentrated on the first one, and I would like to just kind of wrap up the rest of the passage and then continue on into the section for us this morning, but at least to adequately touch some things we did not touch in verses 18 through 25. Number one, we saw that one of the reasons is because of who we are. And if you just look there, in verse 18 and 19, you will see it. Uh, and it's because we are not of the world. The world hates us because while we were of the world, we are still in the world, but we are not like them anymore. Why? Because God, and he's the one who's initiated, he's called us out of the world to himself, and we are now a new creation. We were darkness just like they were. Now we are light, and we are light to them. And because of that, the light exposes them for who they are and, it, and reminds them the change that God has put into our life. And as a result, the world ends up hating us. They do not like that. They like their sin. In fact, we see that all around us in the reality of the world excusing people's sin. And the reason they do that is because they're comfortable with their own sin. And so they don't mind other people's sins as well. And we saw as we dealt with that verse that the world will express their hatred toward believer through persecution. And we have spent time in dealing with how to react to the persecution, especially in the last message. Two other quick things I just want to touch upon, though I've mentioned them. They also, the world also hates us because it first hated Jesus Christ. It hates him. If you look at chapter 15, verse 18, the latter part, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. And then in verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So the world hates us, one, because of who we are, second, because of who Jesus Christ is. And the world has hated him right from the beginning. And if you allow, just moving forward to his coming into the world in his incarnation, he was hated in his birth. They tried to kill him. The world tried to kill him. Herod hated him. He was hated as he grew, and we see the temptation, Satan trying to get at him. We see as time went along, the religious leaders hated him. They hated the miracles that he did, uh, and all kinds of hatred went Jesus' way. Why? I'm just going to keep us in John this morning in this section, again, for time. But go with me to John chapter 5. Let me remind us of things we've seen. Go back there to John 5. It is because, again... Jesus is exposing 
And I'm again reiterating this stuff so that we understand where it comes to in our overcoming the world this morning in those last two verses. But it hates us because we're now light and exposes them. And Jesus Christ was the same way. In chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Why? Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this reason, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Why? Because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but he also was calling God his own father, making himself equal to God. So Jesus Christ was presenting the fact that he is God, that God is his father, that he is the Messiah, that the law was made for man, or specifically the Sabbath, not man for the Sabbath. And uh, it goes on to speak about how Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law, but he was exposing them and exposing them to truth as well. Chapter 7 of John, verse 7. One more verse there. And in chapter 7, verse 7, and these are only samples. There's others you could look back to. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me. Why, verse 7? Because I testify of it, and here it is, that its deeds are evil. The world doesn't like that. Man is basically good. The things that he's doing are good. And Jesus Christ comes along and even exposes the Pharisees, and he gets right down to the issues of the heart. And that's true with us. So the world hates us because of us being called out of the world. It also hates us because it hated Jesus Christ, and that's who we represent. And so the hatred was seen for Jesus Christ. The third one, go back to chapter 15 of John, is also it hates us because it hates the Father. Now that may seem strange to you, but if you look at verse 21, it points out that the world really does not know him. Chapter 15, verse 21. But all these things they will do for my name's sake, and here it is, because, the verse explains it, because what? They do not know the one who sent me. Who sent him? The Father. The world, listen folks carefully to this. The world does not know God. They use the term God all the time. They say that they know God. The scriptures make it very clear that the world does not know God. And it won't come to know God, listen, stay with me, unless God himself reveals himself and gives them understanding. Basically, we know from Ephesians that man is a dead man walking. All men without Christ are dead men. And they might talk about God, they might have their own religions, but they do not know God. So the world, what does this mean? The world hates it because it doesn't know God. They don't know the one true God, listen, as he truly is. They might know a God and refer to a God as they want him to be, and as they think he is, but they don't know him as the one true God as he really is. And it's all going to tie into are being a witness in why we're here and overcoming the world in a few moments. But they hate us because we've been called out. They hate us because they hated Jesus Christ. They hate us because they really hate the God of the Bible. 
Now, you might not think that that's so. You might not think that's so of fellow workers or your neighbors. But in reality, they may talk about God. They may be involved in religion. But when they are confronted with the God of the Bible as presented and revealed in God's word, they hate it. They don't want that God. And there are many that profess to know God. In fact, I've heard that over and over again, and I'm sure you have. Well, I know God. Well, how long have you known him? I've known him ever since I've been born. That's a, that is a clue that they don't know. Because I didn't know God, neither did you, the way God truly is when we were born. He's put an innate within us, conscious and so forth, but they didn't have the concept. Now, if anybody should have known who really God was, I want you to see this and profess to know the one true God, it would have been who? The Sadducees and Pharisees, right? They're the religious leaders. They were the ones, listen, that were the Jews, who are the people of God, were called to be a witness for the one true God. They were the ones to whom the law came. They were the ones who had the instruction and knew the Messiah was coming. They're the ones that had the scriptures. So if anybody knew the one true God, it was them, right? And they would have been the ones that would say that they knew God. True? Yes. Did they know him? Did you forget what we learned in John? Go back with me to John chapter 8. Let's go there. I want you to see that this isn't just Pastor Dan venting. It isn't Pastor Dan just saying that the world hates God. It hates the one true God, though. It does. The evidence of it is seen clearly, watch this, in John chapter 8, beginning in verse 41. He is talking to the religious leaders in this passage. It is very clear. Now watch this. In verse 31, it says, So Jesus was saying to the Jews who believed in him, that's where you to continue where? In my words, so they would know the truth. But as he continues on in the conversation, and this goes on, you come down to these leaders and what happens, verse 41. You are doing the deeds of your father. Now notice what they say. They said to him, we were not born in fornication. Listen, we have one father, and who do they say it is? God. He's the religious leaders. Don't talk to us about that. We know God. He's our only father. Really? And Jesus, you notice, walks away and says, well, they said they know God. They know the one true God. Case dismissed. It's okay. I don't think so. Look at verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, here's the test, you would love me. If God, if you're talking about the one true God that has created this universe, and you really know that God, and you really love that God, then you will love me, the Messiah. Why? Because they're one. That's why, by the way, but let's go on. And he says right here, For I proceed forth and have come from God. For I have not even come on my own initiative, but he sent me. That's John 3.16, isn't it? For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God the Father sent him. 
And what happens? Now listen carefully, because there are people in 2011 that say this. I know God. I love God. I'm going to heaven, but I cannot accept Jesus Christ as God. Chalk it up. They don't know the one true God. That's just an example. Why? Because God the Son and God the Father are one. And if you don't love the Son the way he's revealed, you do not love the one true God. You say, Pastor Dan, that's kind of strong. Let me get a little stronger. Look at the rest of the verse. He said, why do you not understand what I am saying? Verse 43. It is because you cannot, you cannot hear my word. And then watch this dynamite. You are of your father. Who? Wow. He is talking to the religious leaders. He is talking to the people who had the word of God. He is talking to the people who say they know God. And he says, I want to tell you something. You not only don't have God as your father, you don't know him. And your true father is specifically the devil. And then he says, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth. Why? There's no truth in him. Whatever he speaks is a lie. He speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Get this point. The world hates God as he truly is. It may say they know him. Don't be fooled by your neighbors. Don't be fooled by your fellow workers. Don't be fooled by your relatives. And don't come to Pastor Dan and say, I want you to talk to this one. And by the way, when I ask you, well, are they saved? And you say, yeah, they know God. Do they know the one true God of the Bible? Not the God that they've imagined. These Pharisees said they knew God, but they did not know the one true God of Scripture. Why say all of that? Because that's why the world hates us. It hates us because we're not of the world. It hates us because they hated Jesus. And it hates us because it hates the God of the Bible. It's not that they hates the term God. It hates the one true God. What's the one true God? He's holy. He's sovereign. They don't like that one. He's loving. They like that. He's just. They don't like that. No concept of hell. If you were with me, I dealt with the fact that there is a real hell. I did that on Sunday nights. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's the one true God in three persons. A lot of the world cannot accept that. That's because they won't accept the God of the Bible. He's the only God who can save. Man can't save himself. Religious can't, religion can't save itself. And the world doesn't want that type of God. And listen to this one. He's a God that can be known. You say, where did you come with that one from? Because there are religions in the world that say, I will talk about God, but we really can't know him. Yes, you can. Just look in this book and let the Holy Spirit do his work. So what was really going on here? They, in verses 22 to 25, as I just summarized that, there was the unity of the Godhead. You see that in verse 23. He who hates me hates my father. You cannot say you love God and not love Jesus Christ. Put it another way. If you love God, you will love Jesus Christ. 
And if you can't love one of those, you're not loving the one true God of the Bible. Pretty simple. And there's plenty of verses in John. He exposes their sinfulness, and I just want to make this comment on it, especially in verse 22 to 25. He says, if I had not come and spoken to you, then you would not have, we would not have sinned. That doesn't mean that they won't have any sin at all in their life. Romans makes it very clear that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Psalm 14 says, God looked down from heaven, looked at mankind to see if there was any that were righteous. He didn't find a one. So what does he mean? He's dealing with specific sin. He's saying, if I had not come, they would not have that sin. But they are responsible, and watches, watch the way he exposes them. They have rejected in this text four things that I see. One, I'm sorry, five things. They rejected the fact that he came, because verse 22 says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would have not sinned, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Why? Because he did come from the Father. He came and they won't accept him. Secondly, they won't accept his message. He told them what the Father's message was. They won't believe him. Third, they definitely won't accept that he's God. Verse 23, he who hates me hates the Father also. There's a unity there. The world won't accept that. They wouldn't accept his works. Notice verse 24. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did. These people that were living in the day of Jesus Christ have been exposed to miracles that no one else had ever seen. They had been exposed to the one true Messiah, and they were firsthand witnesses. They rejected it. And lastly, verse 25, he goes back and says, they hated me without a cause, quoting scripture, and they ex do not accept the authority of the scriptures. So he's dealing with this specific sin. They would not be with that specific sin is what he's dealing with. Why? Because they've hated me. They don't accept who I am. They don't accept my coming. They don't accept my works. And they don't even accept the authority of the scriptures, really. Now, as he's continuing to go on, the world is going to continue to hate us. And he's going to deal with that again. If you notice chapter 16, and I won't read them yet, but if you scan it, you'll see that they're going to be put in the synagogue. They're going to be treated badly. And he's going to go back to the hatred of the world. But I believe what he does in verses 26 and 27 is he pauses for a moment. He's talking to them about the world's hatred. And he'll get back to that. But he wants to show them how they can overcome the world. How can we overcome the world? Well, it's probably in your mind already by our faith, right? Yes. But let me give you a summary of verses 26 and 27 right away. Here it is. You'll love it. How do we get victory when the world hates us? By witnessing. By what? By witnessing. By testifying to the truth. By testifying to who Jesus Christ is. Listen. By confronting them with the gospel. That's how you'll get victory. By confronting them with the gospel. In Matthew 28, I won't turn there, verses 19 and 20, we refer to that as the Great Commission. We ought to go forth and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You say, well, that's just for the apostles. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you shall be witnesses when the Holy Spirit has come. What are we to do? We're to be witnesses. You say, you still haven't gotten to us. Really? Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 6 for a moment. Quickly. Ephesians chapter 6.
This hits home. This rubs. This is, makes us a little uncomfortable. It's like some of you felt a little while ago, by the way. You say, what in the world are you talking about? Don't tell me that there weren't some of you when we started clapping that didn't get uncomfortable. I don't know why in the world we can clap for somebody when they get an uh, award at a ceremony or at a wedding and we can have a great time or clap when the Bruins win, but all of a sudden we're supposed to be rejoicing and somebody says clap and we get scared. By the way, that, and I'm not going off intentionally on a tangent other than to make you realize when you're worshiping, you should worship God with every part of your being. Every part of your being. When the scriptures say shout with a noise to the Lord, they shouted in the Old Testament. Now, don't go screaming at me, okay? But you get the point. Ephesians chapter 6, while you were turning there, I had to say that. Verses 18 to 20. Watch this. With all prayer and petition, Paul says, pray at all times in the Spirit, and with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints, and pray on my behalf, why? That utterance may be given to me in opening my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. Then he doesn't stop there, verse 20. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that in proclaiming it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. You say, well, that's just the Apostle Paul. Who are you kidding? If time would allow me to go right through the New Testament right now in the epistles, we are all supposed to speak the gospel. You'll see that in a few minutes, though. And we are supposed to speak it with boldness. The problem is we shy away sometimes. Won't this make it worse for me? If, if the world hates me and we're going to talk about testifying or witnessing, won't it make it worse? It may. But you know what? Some will get saved. That's how you got saved. Because someone was faithful in preaching the word. And why is that? Because God will do his work. He gives the increase. Why is it? Because it's the gospel that's powerful and sharper. According to Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I'm not afraid of the gospel. Why? It's the power of God. Why? Because the gospel is part of God's plan. In verses 26 and 27, he's just reminding them of what he said about the Holy Spirit in chapter 14, in verses 16 and 17. Just look back there for a minute. In 16 and 17, he said this to them. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, and he will be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth and the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and what? Will be in you. Look at verse 26. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The world hates us, but we overcome him by testifying. Basically, what I'm saying to you is Jesus connects the dots for them in verses 26 and 27. You will be hated, but the Holy Spirit will enable you to have power. Now, if you look at verse 26, the first witness is the Holy Spirit. When the helper comes, that's the Holy Spirit. You just saw that. He's the advocate. He's the lawyer, in a sense. He's the one that comes aside. It says, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, what will he do? He will testify about me. It is all part of God the Father's plan to send the Holy Spirit. Who was it that sent the Son? The Father. Who was it that sends the Spirit? The Father. Very consistent. And he sends him to do what? 
He sends another one like Jesus. He's called the spirit of truth. That's what I was just talking to you about a moment ago. The world talks about God, but they don't want the God of truth. And the spirit of God takes the word of God and he presents truth so they understand who the one true God is. And by the way, there is truth. You and I are living in a day and age, and if God tarries much longer, the Lord Jesus Christ, you are going to see very soon that there's going to be no belief that there's any one truth. You believe what you want, I'll believe what I want. Nobody really knows. That is where our society is very quickly going. Listen carefully. There is truth. Jesus Christ is the truth. God is the truth. His word is truth. There is black and white. And we can know the mind of God because of the spirit of God. He uses the future tense that he will send him because he had not come in his capacity or full power yet. But I want you to notice this. Why did the Holy Spirit come? You say to encourage the believer. Yes. But for our passage, he tells them to testify. That is the same word of, as witness. And we get afraid of that if we're honest. God send the Holy Spirit to be a witness to who he is. And he is the real power behind witnessing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you can mark it down, verses 8 through 16. It is the Spirit of God that is able to take the things of God and the words of God and understand them and make us understand them. Because he understands the heart of God. We don't. But the Holy Spirit, and there's confusion on this, who's the real power behind of witnessing, it says will testify of me. He doesn't testify about how good the Holy Spirit is. He testifies about Jesus Christ. And I want you to understand this before I deal with verse 27. That the real power behind our witnessing, get this, is the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? It's not man's wisdom. It's not man's schemes. It is not man's programs. It is not man's cleverness. The world is saturated with that right now. But this is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, and it is his job to testify as to the one true God and who Jesus Christ is. He will do his job. He doesn't need prompting. We don't need to help him and to be the work of the Holy Spirit. Ours is to sow the seed. Ours is to bring forth the word of God. Now listen carefully so I don't get misunderstood. That does not mean that God will not use technology. Of course he will. He doesn't need it, but he'll, he'll use that. But man goes to extremes. We think, we've, for example, let me take you to two extremes that happen with Christians. One is that we feel we've got to have these big conventions where we bring people in, and we hear about stories where hundreds of thousands get saved. You know what? God can use those, and God can bring people in and, get, and save hundreds of thousands at a time if he wants. In fact, if you know the scriptures, right away, 3,000 get saved and were added to the church. He can do that. But he doesn't need our scheming. He doesn't need us to come up with certain ways or to present. What he needs us to simply do is give the word of God. The spirit of God is the one that opens the understanding. 
But our extremes is we have these situations where we have these big things that we have to have, and that's the only way people are going to get saved. It's not true. The other extreme is we have believers who basically say, I believe in the sovereignty of God. By the way, so do I. And I don't need to witness anyway because God's going to build his church. That's a fool. Even Paul's heart's desire. You wouldn't have the New Testament unless God used him and told us how to bring forth the word of God. God has sovereignly chosen to use preaching and to use the word of God so that he can penetrate hearts. Those extremes are foolish. The Holy Spirit's job is to testify. So he will be a witness. What about the believer? That's verse 27. And I will explain it to you. But in verse 27, it says, And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning. And some of you might be sitting there saying, Well, that left me off the hook because he's talking about the apostles. He is talking about the apostles. Did you get that? He is. It's directed right at them who he's been teaching. And he says, not only is the Holy Spirit going to be a witness and testimony, you are too. And by the way, you, I don't do this too often, but I need to do it here. The tense changes. This isn't future tense. It can be one of two things, depending on how you look at it, because they're identical in the Greek. It could be a command here, or it could be present. But it's not future. And so he's either commanding them to be a witness, or he's saying that they are going to be a continual witness. Why? Because God's chosen to use them. And he's dealing with the apostles. That was part of their ministry. And he says that they've been with him from the beginning. What is that referring to? Probably the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry. We know that because of Acts chapter 1. That's why the way, by the way, listen carefully, scripturally, the 12th apostle, scripturally, is Matthias. Because that was one of the conditions. He had to be there from the beginning, and he had to see the resurrection. And the beginning of that ministry was John the Baptist. And they were going to be witnesses for him. What are they? They're in a model. There were no secret disciples. The apostles were not just going to say, I was an apostle, and then not have to witness for him. God was going to leave them to be a witness and a testimony. They were to be separated from the world, but they were not to be in exclusion. He didn't leave the apostles on the earth so they could go to some monastery and live on a hill and not be in the world witnessing. He left them so that they would bring forth the word of God. And that's who it's talking about. You say, then where do we fit in? Our believers, yes, I want you to leave with this this morning. You and I, if you truly know Jesus Christ, we are to be used by God and his desire is to use us to be a witness, to use our mouths to speak the gospel. Go with me to Romans chapter 10. That was part of your responsive reading. Romans chapter 10. So the Holy Spirit was to be a witness. That would overcome the world because some would get saved. The apostles were to be a witness, and by extension, what I'm showing you right now, so is every single believer. In Romans chapter 10, you read the entire responsive reading, but I want you to see a couple of things. Go with me to verse 9. If you will confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord. You cannot be saved and not want to talk about Jesus Christ. 
There is no isolation. Now, this may be uncomfortable for you, but if it is, it's a good examination. That doesn't mean you're going to preach in a pulpit. That doesn't mean that every word out of your mouth is going to be talking about Jesus Christ. But how in the world can someone who is truly born again, who's been called out of darkness into light, never talk about the gospel to anybody? It's impossible. You say, why is it impossible? Because God says so. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. He explains it, verse 10. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. We are called to be a witness as well. And if you are saved, you are called to testify, and that's why he's left you here, to present the gospel, not schemes. You don't have to go to seminary. You don't have to go to Bible college. You don't have to have this massive situation where you've got to come to this big conglomerate building where thousands come in and get this big preacher. You just need to be a witness and testimony yourself by telling people how you get saved. And go out and give the gospel message. And what happens? Verse 13. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We overcome, not by us, but by the Spirit of God who's going to be the one who testifies. Working through our lives and by us basically giving forth the word of God. How does it happen? You read the passage again. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing how? By the word of God. Doesn't it say that in verse 17? And that's why he says, how are they going to believe unless they hear it? And you've got the message. There is no such thing, I believe, in Scripture as a silent believer. Now, I'm not saying that your life isn't to be a witness for Christ. Of course it is. But you can't keep it in. You can't. If you can, there's something wrong. Maybe you love the world. Maybe you believe in God, but you don't believe in the God of the Bible. Maybe you believed in the name of Jesus, but it's not the Jesus of the Bible. It's some other Jesus. But when God changes our heart, we're a new creation. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I want to do this very quickly. In Philippians chapter 3, notice what he says. And he's talking to the Philippian believers. The Philippians believers. All right, chapter 3. Notice verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. That's not the verse that I wanted. It was chapter 2, verse 10, I think. Nope, that wasn't the one. Thank you, Dan. Every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Yeah, that he will. They will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Thank you. To the glory, you will. You will confess, and if you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, by the way, he is Lord. It's not a matter of making him Lord, he is. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I won't turn to that passage, it says that they needed not say anything about that whole church. Why? Because their testimony was known abroad. 
What were they doing? Testifying to who God was and how they had turned to God and they had turned away from idolatry. You can't keep that in. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, notice this, verse 18. Go there quick, since we're in the epistles here. Go to 1 Corinthians 1. Two more verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Look at verse 18. The word of the cross, it's foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, watch, it's the power of God. Now notice, jump down to verse 21. Since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. See that? Through its wisdom, it doesn't come to know God. God was well pleased. How does he do this? Through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. How does he save people? He's chosen also the mechanism. What is it? The message to go forth of the word of God. Who brings that forth? Pastors. I hope so. But every single believer. Go with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. One more quickie. 1 Peter chapter 3. Many of you will know the passage. Look at verse 15. But sanctify or set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts, so that when you feel like it, when it's convenient, you'll give a defense to everyone who asks. Is that what your Bible says? My word, my Bible says always. Are you always ready to answer? When God opens the opportunity and someone says, I'm really struggling, I don't know why, I can't get this out of my life, this is happening, I don't know why this is happening, I don't know what's going on with the world, you just turn around and say, well, it's President Obama, it's his fault. You turn around and say, and I'm not saying that it is, by the way, or do you turn around and say, well, it's just the economy, things are going pretty bad, well, it's just those gas guzzlers, you know, and those people that own all the oil, that's what the problem is. I don't understand what's going on in the world, all this flooding and all of these earthquakes and everything else. Well, you know, it's just bad, bad luck. Is that how you respond? Or do we think about it and say, you know what, I now have an opportunity to give an answer for the hope that lies within me. Isn't that what it says? Give a defense to everyone who asks to give an account of the hope that's in you. Why are you not worried? <coughs> why are you not concerned? I'll tell you why. And do it with a gentle spirit, it says, obviously. Keep a good conscience, verse 16, so that when they ridicule your good behavior, they'll be shamed. That's what it says in verse 16. All of that to say this. What it's saying is we need to always be ready to give an account. And so, yes, the Holy Spirit is to be a witness. That's how it overcomes the world. Yes, the apostles are in that passage specifically are going to testify of Jesus Christ, and they did. But I'm trying to help you to see this morning that the believer is called to witness. There's no room for a silent believer. We ought not to be afraid of rocking the boat with our relatives. Think about this honestly. How are you going to feel when you stand before Jesus Christ? And, you know, not that he, you tried to make an opportunity, but you had the opportunity and you didn't take advantage of it. He's the one you're going to give account to. Well, I was afraid of what they would say. 
Well, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ, in the United States of America, you don't, you don't talk about religion or politics. So I couldn't talk about Jesus Christ. You might be the very one that he turns around and says, depart from me, I never knew you. The one that knows Jesus Christ has hope inside him, and the world needs that hope, and he wants to testify. We will overcome the world by our faith, and that faith will be seen because if we've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we'll not only believe in our heart, but we will confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord of our life. That doesn't mean that you won't fall into sin. That doesn't mean that you won't fail horribly. But your desire ought to be to have other people saved and to share the gospel. And if you truly do love your family, that is the first place you'll probably look. I can tell you from a practical experience. Yes, I for a number of years was not looked upon very highly by my own family members. But I'll tell you from my heart, before God is my witness, when I came to know Christ, the first ones I thought of was my family. And I went and I presented the gospel. Some of them are saved today, some of them still are not saved. But why? Because I had truth and I wanted them to know. And yes, it wasn't comfortable when I was in accounting at work sometimes, but I knew that my boss needed the Savior. I knew that others needed the Savior. And I knew I had the message. And that's how you should be. And just be careful with this. Sometimes in our witnessing, we try to scheme. Don't forget what I said this morning. And we've got to have that profession of faith and that bowing of the head. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work. He doesn't need our schemes. He just needs us to do what we're not doing. And that is to preach the word because it's through the foolishness of preaching that God has chosen to save some. And so give the message of the word of God. Overcome by your faith and let that faith be seen by what you tell others as you point them to Jesus Christ. We'll say more about that as time goes on. But God, interestingly enough, right in the middle of saying the world hates you, Jesus Christ turns around, gives him some encouragement by saying, you know what, don't worry. The Holy Spirit's going to testify to who I am, and so are you. And I'll help you. And let it be the Holy Spirit's power working through us. My God challenge us to be good and true witnesses to who Jesus Christ is and to not be afraid or ashamed of the gospel but to be preachers of the gospel to those that we love, to those that we come in contact with, and let God give the increase. Let's close in prayer. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for <clears throat> the word of God, and I thank you that you have sent the Holy Spirit to be a witness and testimony as to who the one true God is and who Jesus Christ, his Son, is. That you did use the apostles in a magnificent way, so much so that even on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls came to know Christ. Not through fancy scheming at all, but just through one man getting up and testifying to who Jesus Christ is. Help us, Father, to rely on the power of the word of God that's sharper than any two-edged sword. Help us to not be ashamed of the gospel. Help us, Father, to take the word of God and to be ones that go forth and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, knowing that's what you use. 
Give us encouragement. Give us courage, Father. For in the flesh we are weak. But help us to always be ready to give a, an account of the hope that lieth in us. And we pray, Father, that we leave the results to you. We know, Father, that Christ is still building his church today in the year 2011. And until he comes back, he will continue to build his church. Help us who have been called to go forth and to just allow you to use us in that process of you building your church. Help us to do it with boldness. Will we have failed, Father, forgive us and help us to have our heart united to yours that we might be bold with the gospel of Jesus Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.